You're listening to the fourth season of the Prophetic Imagination Station, Frank Peretti's America. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And I'm Crispin Mayfield, a therapist. Together, we like to overthink evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This season, we're doing a deep dive into Frank Peretti's best-selling novel, This Present Darkness. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Prophetic Imagination Station, Frank Pretty's America, the final episode of the season. The wrap up. We're here to wrap it up. Yeah, we've talked to a lot of amazing people this season, talked about a very important book in Christian publishing and evangelicalism for a bunch of weeks. This present darkness. Can we put a little bit of that song Ashton in here? Oh, so creepy. <laughs> I am a serious Michael W. Smith fan, but it was not, I like you like that I said M, not like was. Oh, but, no. It's not past tense. Yeah. Um, but I did not know that existed. So it was not. We've talked, talked about me doing my rollerblading routines of this song, right? I get confused about all the old music and things you wore on your feet. Sometimes it's clogs, sometimes it's rollerblades. I know, I got both of those in my past. <laughs> right, but yeah, it's been it's been a fun season, heavy season. Oh my gosh, Christmas, I feel like I have learned so much. Did we know what we were getting into when we decided to do this season on This Present Darkness? No, we did not. We did not know! <laughs> right. I just thought like, oh, it's kind of a terrible terrible book and we'll talk about like this is not really what angels and demons are like that is not what (laughs) we have focused on at all um and i wanted to kind of ask you what stood out to you from some of these interviews but i want to go first okay i go first i'm going to ask myself the question okay and i think it started right out of the gate when we interviewed you know journalist daniel silliman when he basically said that this is really a book about worldviews like a christian worldview in the 1980s and it, you know, presents the Christian worldview being one where you are at war with your neighbor. So it's really the story of this small town in rural America and like this small embattled group of Christians at war with demons who are behind all these institutions and businesses and police officers. And uh, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all these things. And so you're really, as a Christian, when you read it, you're like, yes. Life is like this is a very exciting battle where I'm like at war with most of my neighbors. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a sobering thing to realize I swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. No, that that is makes so much sense. Um, and I think that's sort of like where evangelicalism has been. I mean, definitely fundamentalism and then evangelicalism of being at war with others and not being able to see, I think like not to go too far off, but like our theology doesn't even like allow very much for that. Like people are sinners, right. And they're terrible until they're reconciled with God and then they get their worth. But yeah. anyway, that's like, Oh, kind of a, therapist Christmas coming out. Right. I really, I mean, probably I really loved your interview with Lisa Sharon Harper. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that was like, I think really challenging for me because even as I, as a, a, a therapist and like thinking about demons and angels and like just tonight I was reflecting on like, do I, what do I believe about angels and demons? Um, and her just pointing out that like the majority world cultures do believe in this. Um, and really like it's modernism that really has gotten us away from, like starting, you know, modernism made us think in terms of more scientifically. And then this was a way that sort of opened the door for like white modernists to talk about spiritual, uh, you know, the spiritual world. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, she just like had a very interesting perspective and also got, I love that everybody got to share like some of their stories of like, yeah. you know, where else do you get to share stories about your charismatic experiences? You don't because... Either you'll be laughed at or like pitied, mm-hmm. uh, right? Right. There's a very fun response. Yeah. Uh, when these, I think these are complex stories, and you know, my own experience with the charismatic feels very full of contradictions, and and I don't want to throw it all away, but it definitely deserves to be scrutinized, which is what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, anything else stand out to you from the interviews? Um, I loved interviewing Brad Jerzak. Of course you did. Right. And it was really interesting because it was like, there were so, part, so many parts of it that were interesting, but thinking about like how do we treat these parts of ourselves, uh, our demons, um, and do we like try to cast them out or do we see them as like wounds that need to be cared for? Loved that part mm-hmm. as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also um, just thinking about like this idea of like what is the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus is love and loving enemies. And like what this was being presented is like you were saying, like, you know, you go to war with your neighbor. You go to war in this very violent, coercive way. Um, and really like Jesus isn't even in this book, right? It's right. just like this pagan like war that if you pray the right prayers. I um, love how Brad just pointed that out. Right. Said, where the hell is Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> good, yeah. Pull, good pull quote there. Right. Anything else stand out to you? Yeah. Well, I actually want to take part of this last episode where you wrap things up to kind of explore a little bit more off of what Joshua Pease was talking about when it comes to conspiracy mm. theories. Because I don't think that was on my radar mm. until I talked to him. Um, and so. Wait, let me ask you something. Oh. Have you been seeing some conspiracy theories on your Facebook <laughs> from the friends of your parents? Exactly. So, so that's what I mean. I, I want to spend some time to dive into that a little bit more because even since I recorded that conversation with him in February, I believe it was, uh, conspiracy theories have definitely become front and center as far as like a public discourse. So we're going to go into that a little bit. And I actually have uh, another podcast I want to talk about and kind of connect some of this to Mm. some Frank Peretti stuff. But before we go any further, you know, we need to have a few trigger warnings probably because Mm -hmm. once again, this book should come with a bunch of trigger warnings. I don't think Frank Peretti would ever want that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's heavy topics that we're going to talk about. And you, in, in our last interview with Connie Baker, you had mentioned a few things about your own past and why the stories and some of these plots about, you know, women being demon possessed and Mm -hmm. falsely accusing men of God of either rape or some sort of sexual harassment or misconduct, you know, it's such a common theme in this book, you know, happens like to four or five different people. And you had mentioned how that was like really personal for you. And is that something you felt comfortable sharing with this 
episode? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, yeah, it just really resonated because uh, I've been part of a dysfunctional family where, like, I was 18, uh, realized, like, that was sexual abuse that happened to me. Um, and a couple when you of were a kid. When I was a kid, yeah. yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I was 18 that I was like, oh, I was able to, like, make sense of some of that. Um, and I actually, when I was, like, 20, I wanted to be a good Christian. And so I went to the person that abused me, and I was like, I wanted to let you know that I forgive you. And that person um, said, well, by you even bringing this up, the devil is trying to use you to tear me down uh, because God is trying to use me in this ministry. Um, this person was working with young boys. Yes. Yeah. And so like that alone, I'm like here reading about or like hearing about this in the book. And I'm like, <clears throat> oh, my gosh, this sounds really familiar. Um, and talking with Connie was just really validating. Like this happens a lot. Yeah. Um, and then like just thinking being part of a Christian family and continually bringing up, like, telling this counter-narrative of, like, there's a problem here that needs to be addressed. Um, often, you just get put in this place of, like, you're not, like, you're not being a good Christian, you know? Like, yeah. it can even go towards, like, you know, the, the kind of implicit or explicit message of, like, the devil is using you. I also got this, like, weird message sometimes from people that are, like, God has anointed you to, like, bring healing uh, which was kind of weird, and as, like, a survivor, like, I shouldn't be the one that is, like, orchestrating all of this yeah. either, you know? And so, but, yeah, just the over-spiritualization. And basically the whole goal is to, like, keep this coherent narrative that we are a healthy family, we have a good image, you know, bad things don't yeah. happen. And so then if you challenge that narrative, then you are you become the problem. And, like, in the book, like, a lot of times that can look like you're, like, Satan is using you. Yeah against like this you know family that is blessed by god or, or that sort of thing and i think that plays out not only in families but in churches and like i think in a lot of ways even like yeah like nationalistically i think about yeah like people throughout history that have said like here's this huge injustice and how they get demonized yeah i mean that's the question i was going to ask you is like obviously this is so personal this has happened to you we know so many survivors have experienced this. So this happens within families. This happens within institutions. And, you know, we're talking about this Christ, using this Christian language, right, in particular mm -hmm. to silence survivors who are trying to bring light to um, abuse of all kinds. And so we see that in families. We see that in institutions. And then we see it on a national level. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what is just so, so bring you know, diving into this book and seeing these themes just really laid bare is it's, it's everywhere. Right. I was thinking of, there's this quote, um, from the letter from Birmingham jail by Dr. King. Um, he says, we didn't create this tension. We just bring it to the surface. There we go. Right. And that's like, it is like the people that like bring it to the, like it's already there. But, but you're going to be blamed for it. Right, yeah. But really, we need to be focusing on the ones who created this unjust situation mm -hmm. in the first place. Right, yeah. Which I think ties together with conspiracy theories because we have to have this narrative that like, kind of is a way of pushing the shadow parts or the like ugly parts away from like our story. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so uh, I don't think we really defined it, and I, I feel like we almost don't need to define it, but like, what do you think a conspiracy theory is? 
Um, I, I feel like the actual technical definition is sort of different than like the, it's functional definition. Because I would think like a conspiracy would be like where multiple parties collude together in order to like, I don't know, create a plan or something. But I just think of it in terms of like something that is very unlikely to explain something that is happening um that's a very vague way how would you explain it yeah just i think like there's there's this plot happening that only a few people kind of understand what's truly going on um usually you know people getting together to get power or do something terrible and you know only a few people are smart enough to figure out what's really Mm -hmm. going on Right, right? Yeah. And right now, you know, you hear a lot of that, like, everybody else is just a sheeple and everybody else is just listening to fake news and I'm the only one who truly gets it. So I, I guess I'm also thinking of how it makes a person feel if they are truly invested in a conspiracy theory. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of feel better than other people. And and I, I think, like, having Joshua Peace basically say that this present darkness is just a classic conspiracy theory novel mm-hmm. was really startling to me mm-hmm. I, I i never would have thought of it like that you're like no yeah. it's like a spiritual warfare thriller and mm-hmm. i don't think i would have thought that things though like i i don't know if michael creighton or, i think a lot of john grisham books had some elements of conspiratorial work at it um and they're probably just intriguing to us as humans right because mm-hmm. like whoa it kind of blows your brain a little bit like whoa, all this was happening but i wanted to talk really quick about this podcast that some of our uh, patrons told us about called mm. Uncover, and it's from the Canadian Broadcasting something, mm-hmm. CBC. Um, and this season was all about Satanic Panic. And so, uh, like, I think one or two of our listeners was like, you should listen to this podcast. So I did, and it was about like Satanic Panic that kind of spread throughout both Canada and the U.S., in the 90s. Do you remember any of this going on? I mean, we covered it a little bit in our Adventures in Odyssey episode about... Castles and cauldrons. You, you know, Dungeons uh, and Dragons yeah, yeah, are right, castles yeah. and cauldrons, right? <laughs> I think that fits into Satanic Panic, but this is a little bit more so. And it's funny because you and I have not talked about this at all. No. So one of the things that it was it's about is this idea of Satanic ritual abuse happening all over the country to kids in particular and just like horrible things like every Mm. horrible thing you can think of Mm. but all happening at once like forcing kids to drink blood and like killing babies and you you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like killing tons of people forcing kids to do horrible things and just like this everybody believed it and like all these daycare centers and all these different people were arrested and lives Mm. were ruined and I mean, as a therapist, have you heard of satanic ritual abuse stuff? I've heard of it a little bit, but mostly from your mom. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is not talked about in like therapy circles because therapists really come into play, right? Yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot that we talk about in terms of uh, it's really easy to like plant memories intentionally or unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really important to n- not ask leading questions when it comes to like trauma. Um, and I've heard that a, a couple of times where like I've heard people in my my life be like, well, my therapist says like something must have happened. And so like yeah. now I kind of have these flashes of memories and that's like not a great way to to do that. Um, and so, yeah, there there is that potential for sure. And I feel like therapists, especially now, 
since then have been tried to be like much more like ethical in terms of like not leading people to like have false memories. Yeah, I mean, the thing, the tension that I felt while I was listening to this podcast is it just starts off and, and it's pretty clear, you know, where the podcast is going is, is because basically every single person who, you know, either went to prison or was like involved in a court case, you know, all of that, all the convictions were basically overturned because there's just no corroborating evidence, like mm-hmm. whatsoever. And so mm-hmm. really it's about mass hysteria that led to all these cases all these accusations all these memories all these kids Mm. testifying all these people arrested you know yeah and so i think it was it was hard for me to listen to it because i want to listen to people who say they've been the victims of something horrible and and so a lot of the people pressing for uh these investigations and pressing for convictions all this like their rallying cry was believe the children so all Mm. these kids were saying that all these horrible things happened and so Uh like the police officers especially in this little town in martinsville canada she was just like if you heard the things these kids said like you have done everything in your power to Mm -hmm. lock up people and to do this even though again never there's never a shred of evidence that any Uh of it ever happened like physical evidence anything like that right and so they would have these kids who would tell these horrible stories of horrible things that happened to them just like pick out random people from these random lineups and and that ended up like ruining people's lives Mm -hmm. they would just be picked out of this random assortment of photos and a kid would say it was that person that person Mm -hmm. is the one who did this to me and and, and the podcast is really fascinating because, again, it, it's sort of trying to get to, like, how does mass hysteria happen? How do we all get involved in this? And, and what it really comes down to, they interview this uh, FBI expert. Well, he used to work for the FBI. His name's Ken Lanning. And he actually worked in this field of sexual abuse of, of children. Mm. And when all this satanic panic stuff started happening, he started being like, I really got to investigate this because this is very serious. So he's yeah. someone who spent his whole life trying to legitimize and help victims of child mm-hmm. sexual abuse find, you know, justice. And he and his whole philosophy is like the best way you can help a victim is to help them corroborate evidence mm-hmm. and show that it actually happened. And so he started looking into this and like saying there's there's no way that there would be no evidence for a single one of these thousands of cases that are mm-hmm. popping up all over the place. So something else is happening here and he went into the history of it and and this is like what is i i just found this to be so disturbing and it's kind of what you were talking about earlier about how we choose to focus our collective fears or what we choose to focus on especially if we come from communities where we don't want to admit that bad stuff is happening in our own families or in mm-hmm. our own churches right right and so uh he he, he ken lanning was saying um really we didn't know about abuse happening within families until the x-ray was invented and Mm. the x-ray became like a common practice in the 1960s. And in the beginning when they started using x-rays on kids, uh, like all, all the technicians were like, I think we've discovered like a new childhood degenerative disease because all these kids have broken bones that have been Mm. healed. And Uh, so for like a few years, mm. they thought like maybe there's this new thing happening with kids. And then they realized like, no, like the kids have been abused and Mm -hmm. they've healed. And it took about 10 years until like the 1970s when they were basically ready to say this is an issue that's happening with kids with Mm -hmm. um, their primary caregivers. And I mean, how does that make you feel when I tell you that? Yeah, it just breaks my heart. I know. Yeah. It's 
terrible. And I mean, it, it really reminds me of, uh, so a lot of people know that Freud was really into like the psychosexual development and this whole idea that we like desire our parents. But here's actually what happened is he was working with all these women that were like, you know, the term that would be like psychologically disturbed, right? Had all these psychological symptoms. And so many of them report were reporting that, that men in their lives had sexually abused them. Usually like, uncles or family friends or or fathers um and he actually published a paper but uh it actually incriminated some really powerful families in vienna and so he retracted it and came up with this new theory that all these women are making these things up and they actually just have these like fantasies of having sex with the men in their lives which is just so messed up and just like right in line right when like medical like the medical field or psychology like actually listens to people or actually like has new insight into something. And then you realize like that we can't, we're not willing to actually look at it because it's so horrific. Yeah. I mean, again, looking at like when I was a kid, did you hear about stranger danger? Uh huh. Yeah. I was thinking about that when you were talking about like picking people out of a lineup. The like, it's like what, like ninety percent of abuse happens with someone that is a really close, like well-known person. Ninety-three percent. Yeah. Of child abuse. Right. Child sexual abuse in particular, and so that's what this FBI agent was saying. It's like we focus so much on stranger danger and all of these things when really it's just because we don't want to face the fact that. Like, the vast majority of abuse happens within our homes. Mm -hmm. And so satanic panic truly comes out of that mindset of saying we don't want to deal with the fact that sexual abuse is happening in our communities. Plus, it was sort of coupled with all of this anxiety about, like, uh, double working households, you know, where the mom is also Mm at work and kids Mm -hmm. are going to daycare. And so it was Mm -hmm. was just, like, this perfect storm of fears that people have, which isn't to say that, like, kids – can be abused at daycare centers, but it's not a satanic ritual right. event with drinking blood and killing babies, and you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So I just thought this this podcast was so disturbing in that it shows the links we go to engage in conspiratorial thinking in order to not engage with our reality. And so that's sort of what I want to make this connection to both this present darkness and, and in our current situation where like Facebook is a, a minefield of conspiracy theories right now. Why do you think mm-hmm. that is Crispin? Hmm. Uh, I mean, because I think we have this thing that we don't know how to deal with. Yes. And also in order to, okay, I'm just coming up with this on the spot, but in order to address this issue is going to, take a personal risk and sacrifice on our part economically. Mm -hmm. And so it's easier to think that we're being controlled than to face the fact that we might have to make economic sacrifices in order to protect the most vulnerable. Yeah. So we might need to suffer and for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So we are in a moment where Christians really are at the forefront of making terrible headlines and protesting stay at home orders and, holding banners that say, you know, Jesus is my vaccine. And, you know, even in Oregon, I think there's like, I think it's like 11 different churches suing our governor, Kate Brown, because they want to be able to hold church services. And, you know, they have faith and not fear. And it's just all, I mean, mean, they would have to believe the coronavirus is a conspiracy, right? In order to 
demand to hold a big church service indoors? I don't know. I think that they they probably are just uh, have a lot of like psychological like incongruence where they're like kind of compartmentalizing. I don't know. I think that it probably has a lot to do with uh, just American like feeling invincible, right? Like we just have not had to actually go through large traumas on a national yeah. scale, especially in the Pacific Northwest. We don't have hurricanes we don't have yeah. earthquakes like this but is when, a pretty but when you safe push place to people, live so again like people we know i think you're right they're like whether well, they just haven't experienced it and they can't believe it's that bad and blah blah blah. but if if you push them hard enough they would have to either admit like either it's all being blown out of proportion and it really isn't that bad or mm-hmm. they're just gonna have to get it if they get it and i think conspiratorial thinking is that first one right like was actually mm-hmm. not that bad that's being way blown out of proportion right and that's why i'm interested in just saying like why do we have such a propensity for this i'm working on a piece right now and this might sound funny to you but i don't know you can tell me what you think about this but i was really thinking about that you know report i did on the Loch Ness Monster being the plesiosaurus, which I've mentioned on this uh-huh. podcast before. And yes. I was so proud and I'm so into the Loch Ness Monster. I read about it all the time when I was a kid. But that is a conspiracy theory, okay? It's conspiracy theory to say the Loch Ness Monster has been covered up by everybody. Nobody's been able to prove it. You know, mm-hmm. people keep it under wraps. It's really a plesiosaurus because the Earth is really only 6,000 years old. It's a young Earth. You know, the cre- the evolutionists don't want you to know the truth. There's and dinosaurs in South America. There's dinosaurs <laughs> everywhere, and we have some recordings of their, like, roaring. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And as a kid, I just thought it was so cool. And now I'm like, that's conspiratorial thinking and it has real life consequences. So as a kid, you're just like, this is cool. Dinosaurs are cool. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. They maybe still exist. You know, you don't think about the fact that you're being trained to like distrust, right? Like every media or science scientist or, you know, whatever right. you're being trained to distrust all like, you know, high school teachers that use a, a textbook that, is not creation. You know uh-huh. what I mean? You remember right, yeah. that too. So that really sets you up. And, and same thing if you're a young earth creationist, there is also this direct line to, um, we don't need to really worry about taking care of the earth because God put us in dominion over it. And so global warming is an absolute hoax. So I was absolutely raised to believe that global warming was a hoax by the liberals. I'm still not sure why, Maybe to, like, curb capitalism. Um, you, you know what I mean? There's never any explanation given to me. It's just, like, it's a hoax by the liberals. You're not allowed to watch Fern Gully, Danielle. You know what I mean? Like, right. that was, that was like, the extent of the conversation, yes. right. right? And, then again, it seems kind of – that one doesn't seem quite as funny as the plesiosaurus. But, right. like, what are the long-term consequences, right? right? Yeah, I mean, let me tell you. You, you know that my – uh, parents whited out the number of years ago that dinosaurs lived yes. in all my books. Oh my gosh. But yeah, for the, I mean, for the it, Lord, because they were Christians, right? Right, yeah. Uh huh. So they thought that was a conspiracy? Mm hmm. Well, I don't know if they thought it was a. Like, I was so into Ken Ham and stuff, and he was like, these people plant fossils. Mm-hmm. They plant them. Here's my little thing I think. That the God of evangelicalism that is threatening to send you to hell if you don't behave the right way is a hard God to love. And so then when your faith 
like dwindles, then you have to go into like, well, this is true. It's got to be true because there's proof that the earth is this young. But that's kind of an aside thing. Oh, my gosh. I'm here talking about dinosaurs. Crispin is here just going real deep. I've thought about this before. I've thought about like why, like when people get really into like proving that the Bible is true. It's because I don't think God loves them very much. I think you're right. Right. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So conspiracy theories are like everywhere right now and people, I, I don't want to make it seem like it's only stupid people believe them, but that's not true. Well, here's the thing is like, I, I don't, I totally believe that the government and powerful structures are totally capable of deceiving large groups of people. So talking about abuse, right? Like right. thinking about like cover-ups of abuse. You know abuse happens. Right, yeah, exactly. And so I, like, I wonder, like, what's the line between, like, a conspiracy theory and, um, and, like... Just being honest about everything is messed up. Right. And people in power are going to do horrible things. So I I Mm -hmm. think, like, you can be a realist about the world without engaging in conspiratorial thinking. And I was actually looking at, um, Joshua Pease's article for popular mechanics and and he was talking to an expert who said you know one of the things you can ask yourself because yeah there's there's like communities like african-americans for instance right who have Mm -hmm. been like so much like scientific testing has been done on them without their consent right with the Mm -hmm. united states and so a a large proportion of them sometimes believe in conspiracy theories like you know aids was on purpose you know mm. to kill black men or, or you know what I mean? something mm-hmm. like that but that makes sense because of their history with right. science with medical experimentation being done to them right but uh this this expert was kind of saying one of the questions you can ask yourself if you're sort of having a hard time like is this conspiratorial thinking or not is you could ask yourself how many people have to be involved in covering this up to make it work and the larger the amount of people that have to be involved in covering it up the less likely it is to be true like just Mm. factually Mm -hmm. and so like with satanic panic and with the amount of cases the amount of accusations this fbi agent would be like that's tens of thousands of people committing dozens of thousands of murders and Uh like not having a shred of dna evidence you know like that's where you start to be like no does he believe that children are harmed? Yes. He sees it happen all the time in his work as an FBI investigator. That does not mean that he engages in this this conspiratorial thinking. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, totally. Actually, our brother-in-law, Nick, was talking about this recently, where if you think about, like, how ineffective bureaucracy is, like, if it <laughs> – I don't know why that made you laugh. Well, I'm kind of thinking about Watergate. You know, and just people were stupid. Uh-huh. The thing that's sad is, like, we are so much worse now, and nobody gets held accountable. Right. But, yeah, you think about, like, what what does it take? So if it does take a, a large, like, bureaucratic effort to do something, yeah. like, it just seems, like, unrealistic if it's, you know, because yeah. things don't run smoothly when, when it takes a lot of different organizational structure. Yeah. So I think that's not a bad... Uh, yeah, and I, I talk about this a bit in The Myth of the American Dream, but but the one that really gets me and the one that I just don't know how to talk about very much is um, the vaccine thing. And the vaccine thing has actually become strangely, you know, topical with people talking about Bill Gates and mandatory vaccines. And, right. But in 2018, they did a, a survey, and guess how many Americans did not think vaccines were 
really effective or was so, some sort of a part of a conspiracy in the United States? 30%. 45. Oh, my gosh. So we're, I mean, once this vaccine for the coronavirus, if, God willing, it is there's able to be one, mm-hmm. I mean, just gird your loins now, Crispin. It's going to mm-hmm. be hellish. People are already squawking about it. And mm-hmm. I write about vaccines in my book and basically quoting this author who I think I've talked about before. And she's just saying like, it's, it's only certain people who fixate on this fear of vaccines and the minute risks. Cause there are minute risks mm-hmm. involved with the vaccine. They are very small compared to the risks to our greater community. If we don't develop herd immunity to these highly infectious diseases that most of us have forgotten about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so her, her little, um, kind of statement she says to help us understand this is that we fear sharks instead of mosquitoes right as a culture we're obsessed with sharks we watch shark week on discovery channel mm-hmm. because they're terrifying they're totally right. terrifying yeah. you and i went on that ride at universal studios uh-huh. with the jaw shark <laughs> yeah we did and even though it was so cheesy i'm like freaked out um but really mosquitoes like kill more people than any animal right in mm-hmm. the world uh Mostly kids because and because right. of malaria, and yet we don't have a week on the Discovery Channel where we right. look at mosquitoes. And a part of that, I think, is racialized, right? It's mostly mm-hmm. brown and black children dying of malaria due to mosquito bites. And a part of it is just how we've allowed ourselves to sort of fixate on what we can control, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's why we fear sharks instead of mosquitoes. And that's what I'm seeing when it comes to COVID-19 and we're fearing this possible vaccine mm-hmm. that could allow us, the majority of us, to be safe and, and go back to work. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's I feel really stuck. And again, this is directly related to this present darkness, which as a work of fiction, as a novel, kind of retrains our brain to continue thinking like, you're right, there's this whole thing going on that only a few people understand and know about. And all of these organizations are working in tandem to uh, take over the entire world. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. wow. Right. Did your parents think like the media was like that, that the media was like anti-Christians and, and there's like this whole bias against Christians and media. I think they probably do now. Um, they did when you were a kid? I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember that so much when I was a kid. Uh, and then, you know, I was a missionary kid, so we lived in China for a lot of years. Um, and so there's a lot of talk about the Chinese media yeah. uh, compared to, like, messages from the U.S., uh, which I, I think Chinese media is. I mean, it's government-controlled, so you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We ended up doing a whole series on conspiracy theories during a global pandemic. Right. One thing that really stood out to me is that the like what ends up happening is this makes spiritual warfare uh, about um, that that demons are trying to overtake these historical structures and systems. Uh-huh. Which I think is like I mean it's these s- systems and structures that have the potential for abuse. But it somehow ends up, right, like flipping it around. And so um, so if you criticize the system or the structure of the power, then you're being used by the devil. Um, and, I mean, they weren't talking about gay marriage in the 1980s. Um, but that is where, like, Frank Preddy's most recent Facebook post was about 
uh, like religious liberty, right? Yeah. So we could, yeah. If if Frank Peretti was writing this Prison Darkness in two thousand twenty, oh my gosh, I totally forgot what year it was for a moment because pand- f- pandemic brain. Um, I feel like it would be very similar to the ties that bind. <laughs> more spirit- right. I keep thinking about that Adventures in Odyssey series we did on. Um, Wit and the crew in Odyssey, like, being in an all-out war against tolerance, right? And Mm -hmm. um, people having this idea that a family can include LGBTQ families. Um, And so, yeah, I think if Frank Purdy wrote this in 2020, he would absolutely include what he would call, quote-unquote, the gay agenda as part of, uh, you know, the institution of marriage, right, being overtaken mm-hmm. by the demonic or something. And mm-hmm. I don't think I'm being uncharitable because, as you said, like, Frank Brady is not a very public person. And I think we've been v- pretty nice to him throughout this entire series. Uh-huh. And part of that's because I read his biography or whatever, and it made me feel sad for him. But he also needs to be held responsible for these really toxic beliefs that he has put forth into fiction. And... Yeah, like, he he has, like, maybe, like, two posts, right? One in 2015, one in 2016 that he has on his Facebook, and they're both about religious liberty in light of can Christian business owners refuse business to gay couples? And, Christian, do you want to read this one post, or <laughs> well, should I? Well, I think just the particular part about Kim Davis is... Yeah, so he did this post in 2015, and, okay, I gotta find it. Okay, here we go. And he says, well, okay, who's Kim Davis really quick? Uh, She was the woman that refused to, uh, like, sign off on a marriage certificate for a gay couple. Yes. This is only five years ago, right? Uh And so he says, well, I don't know what this voice sounds like. Kim Davis has now become a historic figure. Some say she is the first Christian American jailed for her religious beliefs. What was your first thought? I'm going to keep going. What was your first thought? You <laughs> I mean, I, I just earlier mentioned Dr. King, <gasps> Dr. Writing, King! writing a letter from Dr. Birmingham King! jail. So you're going to have to edit out my screams <laughs> of rage. <laughs> nope. Kim Davis Crispin is the first <laughs> Christian jailed for her religious. Oh, American. First American jailed for religious. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But he says, well, at the least, very least, hers is the first in what I believe will be many cases in which the homosexual agenda assails religious liberty with full political force and our Constitution is tested. For now, I'll just quote Benjamin Franklin in order to admonish Christian believers. If we don't hang together, we will hang separately. What do you think that means? He's basically saying, like, if y'all don't get in this fight, like, we're all going to die. Like, Christian Christian liberty is dead. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's not great. Right. And then yeah. he went dark, you know, mm-hmm. like a month, no, two months before Donald Trump was elected president. Well, and he you... has not been on Facebook since. I have two requests of you. First, could you write some fan fiction of what the angels and demons were doing in 2014? <laughs> Around marriage legislation. No, that uh, nothing sounds worse to me than number, writing that. Number two, will you send a copy of your book to Frank Freddie? <gasps> I'm gonna brag on Danielle 
uh, Walter Brueggemann, who is the the namesake of our podcast, the Brugs, the Brugs, the Brugs, requested a copy of Danielle's book, The Myth of the American Dream, today. that came out two weeks ago. He, he requested it today. Uh huh. Which is very exciting. It came out nine days ago. Nine. What yeah, day is it? Is oh Thursday. my gosh! I know. It is. Yeah, I have seen. Who cares what day it came out? Who cares? I published a book in a pandemic. Nobody cares. People care. Nobody cares. Second printing. Walter cares. Yes, he asked for it. Yeah. So anyway, probably because he wants to hate read it. No, <laughs> not at all. Probably because he's like this lady has a weird podcast based on a book I wrote in the seventies. Yeah. Do you think my book like corresponds well with the podcast or no? Yeah, I think so. Totally. It totally does. Really? Yeah, because you talk about, like, what are the political values yeah. of evangelicals. That's true. I talk about DC talk. Uh-huh. Jesus freaks. Right. But, I mean, uh, yeah, especially because we, like, our last two seasons, we've looked at, like, what does it politically mean to be a Christian in today's yeah. society? And that's basically what you're asking. But you're saying instead of seeking power and safety and health and money that we're actually called to give those things up yeah and like here are the ways that we inadvertently like hold on to those and call them christian values yeah i would say the overlap is everything we do both you and i even though we do it in really different spheres right you are a therapist and you're somebody who deeply cares about theology and the church and how the church is uh sort of playing out its beliefs about God in possibly some problematic ways, right, in their mm-hmm. congregations. And then I love to write and I love to engage with these issues that I am trying to call my own community into interrogating, you know, like mm-hmm. are we actually trying to follow Jesus and what values are at play here? And then this podcast sort of just comes out of both of us being <laughs> like, we were both raised in this very weird, very niche subculture. And uh, let's just have some fun as, as we try and unpack what some of this stuff means and so of course it's silly but as we keep saying over and over again the repercussions are real mm-hmm. real and i think as people like card carrying members of the evangelical whatever club we have a responsibility to um to take it seriously right mm-hmm. yeah totally i totally agree too and- seriously cue the ashton music i'm just kidding i don't know yeah we're gonna add it there <laughs> Uh, which actually leads us to something important that I'm very excited about. Uh, we have a Patreon, and we have a Patreon-only podcast mm-hmm. that we publish once a month. Um, and do we have other results in, or are we still waiting? Well, we're waiting till Sunday, but it kind of seems clear. That WOW 1999 is going to be the topic of our next Patreon-only podcast. There are so many, so many hits on there. Danielle is so upset, and I'm so excited. I mean... I feel like the people who listen to the show like you more. They never pick what I want to talk about. <laughs> I could tell when I told you to put it in the thing that you, like... I did were... not believe that anyone would vote for it. No, you didn't think that. Nor I mean, there's so much there. It's, like, Entertaining Angels, like... Uh, by Newsboys, like, Jars of Clay, Jennifer and Apple. Like, it was just the height of everything. 
Uh, you guys, he's been playing it on Spotify nonstop. He's been trying to show me every song. It's true. And like, basically, he wants to do the next season on every single song on this album. There are so many great Please stories. Talk him out of it. So many great Please stories. Talk him out of it. Um, yeah, I was listening to it so much that Spotify sent me an email and they said, we, we reset your password because there seemed to be suspicious activity you on were your account. too much for him. <laughs> yes, right? Wasn't yes, that it? Yes. Okay. So we're going to do that special patron only episode. So you gotta, you gotta join our Patreon group. Mm-hmm. It's only like a dollar fifty, and, mm-hmm. um, we'll do a very silly episode. Should we just like. Since we're ending the season right now, should we just throw out some ideas about the next season we think we're going to do? Uh-huh, yeah. That's great. We're probably going to do a few Adventures in Odyssey episodes, right, in between mm-hmm. as fillers. And probably, yeah. I'm going to say midsummer, we will unveil the next season. Mm-hmm. So there's two seasons I want to do. One of them you came up with. And the other one I don't actually want to do, but the people have been begging for it. Wait, which is the one that I came up with? Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, y'all. Right. I didn't come up with that, but it is great. You didn't? Leah told us we should do oh, it. Oh, yes. Yeah, because Leah. of some of the racism. Chronic what? Racist Narnia. Right. I feel like we're going to, like, people can make fun of Adventures in Odyssey. They cannot. You cannot come for the Lewis. I know, so. Obviously, there's awesome things in it, too. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to shy away from the fact that he was a person of his time. I definitely think we need to dig into those books. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be really great. Right. So yeah. I think we're going to do that. I'm not sure what order, you know, if we're going to do that in the summer, if we're going to do that in the fall. If you guys know people who are C.S. Lewis experts, people who would be good interviews on this topic, please reach out to us. The other season we kind of need to do. What? We went to a Bible college where there was a house where students could live that was full of C.S. Lewis artifacts. Save it for those episodes. But what was it called again? Aslan's House. Aslan's House. Obviously. Yeah. Um, that, there's a whole thing we're going to have to talk about with mm-hmm. that. We, we definitely know people who live there. We can interview people who live at yeah. Aslan's House. Um, so then the other season I want to do is is kind of all around Christian romance. La, 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 what? <laughs> I don't know. Lady Gaga is not a part of Christian <laughs> romance. It's true. But, you know, we could talk about some purity culture stuff. We could talk about some I Kiss Dating Goodbye stuff. We could watch <sighs> When Calls the Heart on Netflix with that Canadian Mountie. We could talk about Amish romance. I, I, I mean, the possibilities are kind of endless when it comes to a Christian romance. Oh. I'm an oh, expert on Francine Christian Rivers, romance. Right. What is that book she wrote? River uh, Mercy. Love. Yeah. I think one of the Dairy Girls is going to be in it. Wait, it's is going to be? Yeah. Oh, is I thought she was previously is going, to be. going to be. Wow, I don't know which Dairy Girl. Danielle, I was I'm an expert in Christian dating books because as a teenage boy, I wasn't allowed to read Christian romance, but I could read I Kiss Dating Goodbye and When God Writes Your Love Story and. Uh, Etc. Yeah. Are we overqualified to do this season? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Is it going to get real? Probably. So, yeah, give us any suggestions you have on our Christian romance seasons. Those are the two things. Mm-hmm. The next two seasons we have, cook it up in the works, and then we're obviously going to do some Adventure in Odyssey episodes. Thank mm-hmm. you all so much for listening. This Frank Parties America season has been incredible. We've loved all the engagement. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we know it's a lot, and we know life is a lot right now. 
So we're so grateful to you. Mm-hmm. You can um, find us on Twitter at Prophetic Imagine. You can find our Patreon is actually under DL Mayfield. If you go to Patreon slash DL Mayfield. You can find me on Twitter at DL Mayfield. We should probably start like an Instagram for our podcast because we have like 775 followers on Twitter. Did you know that? I did not know that. That's wow. not a lot. A lot of y'all have been listening. That is like just a little bit less than I have. <laughs> lot of people listen to our shows and we kind of need to get more professional about it right um because it's not just 12 people anymore Mm -hmm. it's like thousands of people right well a thousand people eight thousand eight thousand but that's amazing yeah right you can find me on twitter speaking of oh sorry you sell yourself underscore underscore mayfield tweeting about attachment and theology and sometimes tweeting at danielle about things and you have your own attachment theology podcast Mm -hmm. yeah attached to the invisible um and i interview some experts there but then also my co-host amy it's kind of similar to this we kind of like deconstruct evangelical theology and what that means on a psychological level and you know the messages that we get about Mm -hmm. god and our relationship with god you just need a co-host who is female who laughs really loudly right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah me and amy we're here Mm -hmm. for you and then of course my book did just come out the myth of the american dream reflections on affluence autonomy safety and power We'll definitely find some of these things we've been talking about in Frank Peretti's book, This Present Darkness. They're in my book. So read it. Mm-hmm. Let me know what you think about it. Um, yeah, it's yeah. really great. It's a very easy read, very engaging. Um, it is not easy to read. I was just on a podcast recently where the host told me three times that my book was excruciating. You guys, well, <laughs> okay. That, excruciating. That is a terrible thing to tell someone that you ask to be on your podcast. And I was like, you can say it once. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Speaking of podcasts, Danielle was recently on Way FM, which is like their YouTube for their YouTube. But still, I'm busting through, guys. Yeah, it's basically focused on the family because they are in Colorado. They're mm-hmm. based in Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're like the more alternative K Love. Yeah. So check that out. I'm basically going to be interviewed by Focus on the Family at some point. That would be really ironic. Remember when I wrote them an open letter? Remember when I wrote <laughs> for them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the times have, have changed. Right. Well, thank you, everybody, for being on this journey with us. We love you. You've been listening to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Prophetic Imagine. You can follow me at K underscore underscore Mayfield and Danielle at D underscore L underscore Mayfield. And you can email us at Prophetic Imagination Station at gmail.com. You can support this podcast and get access to our Patreon only podcast at patreon.com slash DL Mayfield.